Well, friends, happy Christmas. So great to see you here in this little interlude in our Christmas play. My name is Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's so great to see you come together as we celebrate the greatest news on earth. Uh, if you've got little ones with you and you want somewhere quiet to go, there's a, there's a family room uh, just down those stairs. If you've got ones that are a bit older and want a bit more running around space and they get a bit rowdy, you can go down these stairs and straight that way. And there's another live stream there with a bit more room uh, if you need that at all. Sometimes in life, Something happens that's so epic, so important, so kind of worth singing from the rooftops that we go over and above to let the world know about it. I don't know if you've ever been there, if you've ever been in one of those moments, you want to announce something to the world. In 2002, two YouTubers by the name of Asal and Anis, here's their picture, had a message they wanted to reveal to the world. So they spent 150,000 New Zealand dollars to rent out the side of the tallest building in the world to say this, it's a boy. <laughs> I kid you not. This is what they did. And they let the whole world know that they were having a boy by spending a lot of money on the world's tallest building. <laughs> now, every child thinks, sorry, every parent thinks their child is special, don't they? We all think if, if we have children that they're, they're amazing, usually most of the time, sometimes maybe not so much. Um, and if you don't have kids, well then your, your parents think you're special as well. Uh, some parents go to extraordinary lengths to announce the gender of their child or perhaps to, to announce the name. Traditionally throughout history, it's been the announcement of the name of the child. You think of this moment in kind of film history, Simba, <laughs> right? He's Simba, this is the child, this is the one that will come. Well, that passage that Zechariah just read for us, that song that he sung, has been recorded and passed on throughout history as a moment for all humanity. So important that we even know about this song as, a, as compared to the world's tallest building letting us know it's a boy. I mean, did anyone know that? Yet there's a difference. There's a difference in what Zechariah said between him and these YouTubers, these influencers that we come across with, and also the announcement that Simba symbolizes. The gender reveal probably made that couple, you know, maybe some money uh, after they got their 22 million views of the video reveal, which they did, by the way. I did work it out on YouTube. Uh, that works out around about $40,000. So they lost money. You're like, oh, no, <laughs> it didn't work. But the announcement of Simba is symbolically the announcement of a king. And in the world of Zachariah, the announcement that he had to say had even greater implications for all of those humans who were on earth. Not just for Christians or people who like religion or religious stories. The announcement that Zachariah had as he read those news of a child that would be born is the most important announcement any single one of us will ever hear in our lives. I kid you not. I've had a few important announcements in my life over the years. I remember announcing uh, to my parents that I'd gotten engaged. I've been chatting about it a bit. They knew about that. It was to Sarah. It's okay. All good there. I remember the, the moment when I was 15 years old, sitting in a doctor's surgery, and them saying, uh, you need emergency brain surgery. Uh, they needed to put a brain in because I didn't have one. No, just kidding. Uh, I did have one, but that, there was actually an issue that there was too much pressure and they had to operate on me. That was a big announcement for me. I also remember growing up in Sydney, the moment that the chairman of the International Olympic Committee said that the 2000 Olympics would be in, and he went, Sydney, and read it out. And I was like, yes, the Olympics are coming to my town. This is going to be incredible. Or maybe the moment our prime minister announced that we're all in lockdown for who knows how long. There have been a number of announcements in our lives, and I'm sure you all have announcements that have been 
were relevant and, and, and big for you. Even if it was merely your parents announcing your name to the world. But what I want us to see today is that none of those announcements come close to the relevance and the importance for you and me of what Zachariah said here in Luke 1. There's something bigger happening than a lion on a hill or a tower in the desert being lit up with the words, it's a boy. Luke tells us that there's an angel. Now, to be honest, I've, I've never seen an angel except for in plays. I've never seen a, a real angel. But I think if I did, <laughs> I'd tell everyone I heard about it. Now, the problem for Zachariah was that he didn't believe that angel originally. That he and Lizzie were so old, there's no way he believed they'd have a child at their age. And because he didn't open his ears to the angel's message, the angel miraculously shut Zechariah's mouth. Now, as a side note, when I come across this stuff in the Bible, or anywhere really, I've got to admit, I'm naturally pretty skeptical. I don't go, oh yes, an angel appeared, that's normal, tick, move on. I kind of go, really? Uh, my first degree out of high school was a degree in science, and if it taught me anything, it taught me that a good scientist, though, never says never. A good scientist needs to always be open to the possibilities of what we see happening and that something different could happen the next time. And then we work it out based on the probability that the same thing will happen. But we, we never say it can never happen. We must keep our eyes open to the possibility that the hypothesis we're testing is currently or possibly wrong. And if I were to look at the world around me here and now, I'd say, look, probability, no angels. Like I, I've not seen one. I, don't, I, I doubt if you have. I've not seen many miracles myself. Highly unlikely a miracle would happen. That's kind of why they call them miracles. They're, they're out of the blue. They're out of the ordinary. But when I look at history, when I see these eyewitnesses' accounts and the events that the scriptures record, that they're still being spoken of 2,000 years later, that people in their first hearing were so convinced of the events that went on that they were willing to die for their testimony. And I look for a better explanation than what the Bible says actually happened. I actually come up empty. The best explanation as I look at the evidence of history, both from Christian and non-Christian sources, is that these events around the person of Jesus actually happened. That's the most plausible explanation of why the authors of the Bible were happy to die for their claims. Why Christianity spread so quickly within living memory of the events that happened. Christianity is not just built on a myth and a wish. It's built on history, on events that went on. And I'm convinced that a good student of science and a good student of history has to say, if they want to hold any sort of intellectual credibility, that we have to deal with these events of the Bible. We have to deal with the fact that something went on there that changed the shape of the world. I want to put it to you that the most likely explanation of the world that we live in is that these events really happened. To be honest, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith that all of this is just an, an accident, that these events just happened by random chance. It'd be like saying, I walked into my garage, I knocked over a bottle of oil, and then after 30 billion years, out came a brand new Tesla. Like, that, that's unlikely. It looks designed. The world looks designed around us. The statistical probability of this world being random chance is incredibly low. Even Fred Hoyle, the, the great physicist who, who coined the term the Big Bang, he said this, and the quote's on the screen. A common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as the chemistry and the biology. As he looked at the world, it looked designed, it looked like there's someone who made it. 
And history looks like these events actually happened. And so with such a huge announcement, the sky lit up, an angel, the miracle of silence, which I'm sure many of us wish we could replicate either in our children or our spouses, that they'll be silent just for a little bit longer. Zechariah announces something incredible. Look at verse 68. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. Now, at first hearing, when I hear that, I kind of go, yeah, who cares, Rowan? Who cares about this God of some people that said something 2,000 years ago? (laughs) But I want us to slow down this morning as we reflect on Christmas and reflect on the content of what this angel said and reflect on the message. God has visited us. Can you imagine that? I'm sure many of us would love to experience that reality. Either to convince us there is a God or maybe ask him a few questions. But imagine there is a God and he actually visited us. Can you imagine meeting your maker? What would you say? What would it be like? What would he look like? What would that moment be like? I've never really met anyone that famous. Uh, My daughter, Lara, uh, she recently, start of this year, met Ed Sheeran. Ed Sheeran came to her school, pretty exciting moment. Uh, They got to take a photo, there's 600 people in uh, the two years that were there at the school uh, with Ed Sheeran and her friend pushed her up the front and she she touched Ed Sheeran. She came home and said, guess what? I touched Ed Sheeran. She's like, ah, her hand was glowing. I'm pretty sure she slept with it out of the bed so she didn't touch it at all. She's like, I've touched Ed Sheeran. (laughs) Imagine what it would be like to meet your maker. The one who spoke and creation came into being. The one who holds the universe together, who flung stars into space, who can raise the dead, who is in control of it. Imagine what it would be like to meet your maker. Zachariah's announcement isn't that he's come on to put a show on for us or do a few talks. Zachariah says that God has come to provide redemption. That word redemption isn't a word we we use all the time. What is redemption? I kind of looked around to see where I could find redemption used, and I found it at cash converters. Do you know that? Here's a slide from cash converters. See, if you need some money, uh, and then you can take grandma's ring to cash converters, you can leave the ring with them. They'll give you like a peasly, measly amount of what the ring's actually worth. You get the money, you can spend that, and then you've got a certain amount of time to come back before you can redeem the ring. And so what Cash Converters says here is that if you pay the redemption amount through an online pawn payment, your item will be held by the store that you left it at, uh, and then in your next visit, you can get your grandma's ring back. And they've made a lot of money, and you haven't, but you had some money for a while. Redeeming means to buy back, to get back something that is there. And the question here is, why is this announcement so big about redeeming people? What do we need to be bought back from? What does this have to do with Zachariah's child, John? What's all of this message got to do with us? Well, look at verse 76. And you, child, Zechariah says, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. As Zechariah speaks of his son, John, he says he'll be a prophet, a mouthpiece for God. He will go before God to prepare the way for people to meet their maker. We all have high hopes for our children. All of us want the best for them, don't we? I guarantee again that uh, your parents wanted the best for you. 
But what makes Zechariah's son great is not anything Zechariah's son John would do. It's nothing about him other than who he introduces. What makes John great is who he introduces, that he prepares the way for God. The coming of the Lord, what, what Zechariah means here, what God is promising is that God would step onto the stage of the earth. And this child, Zechariah's son, would be the one to prepare the way for him. And so Zechariah sings this song about how great it is because of the great news of God the Son coming. Listen to what Zechariah says about this God the Son and, and th this, this child that Zechariah's son would introduce. Verse 78. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And verse 77, to, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now this promise of what this son would do, not Zechariah's son, but the one he would introduce, this promise of one that would come and show God's compassion and shine light on the world and give people a knowledge of salvation and forgiveness of sins. This didn't come in a vacuum. It's not like just one day someone made this stuff up or they just said it. 450 years earlier in the Old Testament, a, a Jew had promised of what God would do. A prophet had spoken about what God would do in these last days. Look at Malachi 3 verse 1. See, I'll send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant or promise you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. 450 years earlier to this moment, there was an expectation that God's promised king would come and that God would send a messenger before him to prepare the way for his promised king. And Zechariah's son is that messenger. What is going on here is of global proportion. And like never seen in the history of the world. That's why Zechariah is so excited because his son is going to introduce to the world the one that would bring light and life and salvation. Here's where it gets real personal though. Because he was coming to prepare the way for something that we need and they need to. See in Malachi 3, Malachi says this, but who can endure the day of his coming? And who will be able to stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's bleach. There's a sense in which the world in, we live, in which we live, the world they lived in and the world we're in, is not as it ought to be. And we all experience that, don't we? We all feel that at times, that the evil of the world, the messiness in the world around us, that things don't go right, that sickness comes into our world, that death reigns. It was the same in the time of Malachi and the same in the time of Zechariah as well because it was the same issue we all have as humanity. None of us do what is right. None of us live our lives the way God intended us to live. We, we cry out to God that we want the pains and the evils of this world to be gone and yet we create pain in the lives of others, don't we? I do. We do things that not even we are happy with at times let alone the way God made us to live. We, we ignore God. We live our lives as if he isn't here, kind of blinded to the reality of the creator, blinded to the reality of the evidence that exists in the world around us, that we are designed, that these events actually happened. And we live our lives without God, without him on his throne. 
If we want God to remove all the evil from the world, we're asking him to remove us. Put an end to the evil God. Why haven't you stopped it? He says, because I'm giving you time to see the solution before I stop you and me. Please hear me very clearly today. God promises he will remove all the evil of the world, all the sickness, all the suffering, and all the pain. He will wipe it from the face of the earth like bleach wipes the nastiest stain from any fabric. The problem is that includes us. That's a massive problem for us. As Zechariah spoke of this one coming that his son would prepare the way for, saving them from their enemy. Zechariah looked forward with great joy to being saved. But I wonder, what sort of enemy was he thinking? Sure, there was a political reign of the nations around them that hadn't let Israel live as they wanted to live with them ruling, but there was a greater enemy. I don't know if you've thought through, what is your greatest enemy? If I would ask you that, what, what is your greatest enemy? Maybe don't say it out loud in case they're sitting next to you at the moment. You know, could have been an icy morning in the family on the way to church. It might be the office worker who always parks in our spot annoyingly and so frustratingly. It could be that the school mum that always seems to make you feel inferior, like you haven't got it as together as they do. Or perhaps that colleague or, or classmate that delights in making you look bad and showing up your mistakes and you get so frustrated at them. Or perhaps it's that person that's done you great harm. In each of these cases, there are real enemies we face in the world, real frustrations with people. But in each of these cases, there's something worse. And that's what God is saying. There's a greater enemy for all of us than those things we face. And that enemy, it is death, isn't it? Isn't it? The Bible tells us that death exists because we reject the life-giving God. Think about it. The God who gives life, the one who says, I'm sustaining your life. If we reject him, then we're rejecting the life that he gives us. We're rejecting the goodness that he has. We're saying, I don't want you, all the things that you bring. And so eventually he will say, okay. And graveyards across the world are filled full of that testimony. That no one lives forever. That all of us have rejected God because all of us face death. But why Zechariah was so excited wasn't because of just the political rule that would happen around It was that this one was coming that his son would introduce to defeat the greatest enemy, death. And the sin within each of us that causes it. This son would introduce to the world forgiveness. The one who would forgive our sins. The one who is God himself. And the only one to show us mercy. A number of years ago, I decided to try out canyoning. It's a bit of a kind of outdoory sport where you put a wetsuit on and you, um, you, you go for a walk through a, a big creek uh, or a big kind of river with water flowing through it and then you jump into pools. And then uh, this particular one that we we're going to try, my first canyon, ended in a 30-metre waterfall. Um, here's a picture of it right there. So that's just the top section of it. It's a 30-metre waterfall. You abseil down this waterfall. Um, I thought it'd be fun. Sarah's brother had done this a fair bit before, so it'd be a pretty great time for us to do it. But we thought, why not up the ante? Let's do our first canyon, or my first canyon, at night. So we're like, that's a great idea. So we started at like 9 p.m., 
pitch black in the middle of winter, not the, not the smartest probably to do. Uh, we had limited torches. I had one head torch and my brother-in-law had another torch, but mine was kind of failing halfway through. We got to the end, everything had been fine. We were pretty safe, taking our time. And because there was um, not many of us there, he had to stay at the top to kind of pull the ropes down when he came down last. And so I had to go down first. And so I'm like, all right, I've never done this particular abseil before. There's water kind of gushing over you. It's dark, can't see a thing. Uh, my torch by that point was really, really dim. So I said, can I just borrow your torch so I can see? So I stuck his little torch in my mouth as I went over this 30 meter um, waterfall and then abseiled down. And as I went off the edge, I said, oh, how do I know when I'm at the bottom? And he said, oh, it's kind of flat. There's like this rock that's kind of flat and you can just kind of walk off to the right. And I was like, sure. We'll give that a go. So off I go, I'm going down, can't really see. I'm trying to shine with a torch. I find this little rock that's flat. I'm like, this is brilliant. And so I start unclipping myself. But as I do, I realize this rope feels real heavy. Like, like there's lots more below. And I know it's a 30 meter rope and it's a 30 meter drop. Why is it so heavy? Uh, and then I stop for a second and think, oh, and I look out and I was on a tiny little ledge. I was about to unclip myself halfway down a waterfall. I had no idea what problem I had before me, what sort of situation I was in. I am so thankful that my brother's torch was able to shine the light so I could see where I was. Friends, to us in this world right now, we have limited light on the realities of the world. We think what we see is all there is, but the Bible tells us that there is more. We think that we're going just fine. Life's cool. It's going pretty well. There's ups and downs, but hey, it is what it is. We have no idea what danger we are in until God shines the light of the reality that we need to come before the true and living God, that death is not the end, and that God will put away all evil and deal with it justly. The light of Christmas is Jesus stepping into the world and saying, I will deal with your sins so you can have forgiveness. I will pay the penalty that you deserve. Jesus turns up and shines the light on the reality of our live situations. Listen to what Zechariah says in verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of God, that's not getting what we do deserve, mercy, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in the darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Friends, each and every one of us are in a precarious position with the God of the universe. If we were to meet him without Jesus, it would not be pretty. If you just stop and ask yourself, given the light that God shines on our lives, the reality of thinking through how have I treated God, would you say that you're confident that you've treated God rightly, that you've never rejected him? I know my answer is no, and I know yours is no as well, because you, like me, are a human. But the one Zechariah's son was introducing to the world was coming so that we might experience the greatest gift we could ever receive. Christmas is full of so many gifts and celebrations, but this is why we give gifts to one another. Because Jesus is the gift to you and to me. He was coming that we might experience the greatest gift we could ever receive, the greatest announcement we could ever hear, that our mess could be forgiven. Look at verse 77 again. He's coming to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. In the Apostle John's Gospel, and 
uh, record of a life of Jesus, we hear the words of Zechariah's son some three decades after he was born. This is what John the Baptist says in John 1.29. The next day, John the Baptist, who's Zechariah's son, saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John's gospel, we hear Jesus introduced on the world stage by John, Zechariah's son, to say, here is the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Friends, what makes Christmas Christmas? It's not just family, although family is important. Nor is it the food or the festivities. It's the stepping onto the world stage of God the Son to deal with your mess and mine to give us life that lasts forever, to offer forgiveness. You know that feeling you have when there's just a war between you and someone else, where where you need to forgive them or maybe you need to ask for forgiveness and there's that enmity between you and you know that relationship is not right or good. (laughs) Imagine facing the God of the universe knowing we deserve death and judgment and separation from his goodness forever. Christmas celebrates Jesus stepping in to say, hey, I've, I've taken the price for you. As I died in your place, as I faced death for you, you can therefore be right with God. You can be part of his family. You can be called his child because I love you, because I'm full of compassion and love and mercy. Christmas is such a time of celebration, isn't it? Because we stand with a God who has died in our place. There is nothing more relevant this Christmas, nothing more personal than the announcement of Zechariah 2,000 years ago that his son would introduce to the world the saviour who would bring forgiveness of sins. There is nothing more relevant than God the Son coming for you. And to God, there's nothing more offensive than rejecting that love, than rejecting the mercy, than rejecting Jesus' death in your place and the compassion that he offers you. He's saying, I have paid the price for you. Come to me because of nothing you've done. Because of my love for you. Can I plead with us all this Christmas? Let's not make life about trying to make our name great. Painting our name up on the wall of society. Putting our greatness on the side of a building. Building a, a reputation for ourselves. Or trying to live our best lives now. Life to its full is found in recognizing the incredible joy of forgiveness. Of life with God that lasts forever, that does not end. Of knowing our sins have been paid for and knowing that Jesus calls us his brother. And that we can call God our father and we'll spend an eternity with him. I encourage you all today, friends, whether you trust Jesus or not, to come and see him afresh. For he is the saviour of the world, the one who died in your place. And the one that will come back again to judge the living and the dead. So walk in his light. Let the light of his word today shape the way that you live. Sing of his forgiveness from the rooftops because there is nothing better than this news of God the Son come to forgive you and me. Let's pray and thank God for his forgiveness. Father God, today we are so thankful as we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate your son come and dying in our place. Your son stepping onto the world stage so that we might be able to call you our father. We might have our sins paid for in Jesus. We might be able to stand and, and know you as our dad rather than as our enemy. Thank you so much for Jesus' death in our place. Help us this Christmas to marvel 
to marvel at the joy of forgiveness, to experience what that is, to know that weight is lifted and that we can live for you forever. Help us this Christmas, Lord, to live for you, trusting Jesus and serving him. We pray this in his great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.